Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your god. Hello everyone and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am your dungeon master, host, and king of the boneheads, Ryan Howard. And today, Shane Lacey Hensley returns to Rollin' Bones to discuss the uh, the current Kickstarter campaign that's going on for the Savage Worlds Adventure Edition update of Deadlands entitled Deadlands, the original Weird West role-playing game. Uh, This is something that I am super excited for. I love Deadlands, despite the the bad experience that I had playing it that one time. I've also had a good experience playing Deadlands. So so don't let my, uh, my Deadlands incident story fool you guys. I have had good times playing Deadlands too. Uh, but I, I'm really looking forward to this. This is the suede update, like I said. Um, and this campaign is really cool. And Shane was gracious enough to take uh, 30 minutes of his very busy schedule and just have a conversation with me. Uh, so this interview is going to be a little bit on the shorter side. So, uh, you know, with that in mind, to give you guys kind of a full length episode and to, you know, let me kind of shoot my mouth off for a little bit about some things, uh, this this rant's going to be on the longer side. So, uh, you know, before we get into the interview, before, you know, really anything else in this uh, little intro here, I just want to remind everyone Uh, that we're available on Anchor.fm. The home for this podcast and all things related to it is going to be RollinBonesPodcast.com. You can listen to the show directly on there in multiple different ways, or you can find the link to the podcatcher of your choice. And also, if you would like to communicate with me, you can send an email uh, to RollinBonesWithRyan at gmail.com, or you can follow me on my various social media pages. I am at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg on both Twitter and Instagram, and I am also now active in the uh, Savage Worlds official Facebook group, uh, which I'm very excited about because if you've noticed over the past few episodes, I've gotten really into Savage Worlds, and I'm very excited to force some of my players to learn to play the system so I can actually run some of these ideas that I have, Uh, one of which would be like a G.I. Joe game. I'm actually thinking of uh, taking that to conventions and... You know, once once I've established, okay, I'm going to try to go to this Savage Worlds focused uh, convention, you know, bring that that G.I. Joe game or, you know, bring some kind of cool Savage Worlds thing that not a lot of people are doing. And, uh, yeah, I've I've really gotten into Savage Worlds recently, uh, and that's something that we kind of bring up on the uh, the podcast today as I'm talking with Shane uh, and, you know, the the person who's primarily responsible for that is of course Carl Kiesler. It really took someone just kind of turning a mirror on me and saying, do you see all of this? This is all that you can do in Savage Worlds. You can play Sin City in Savage Worlds. And I was just like, I can play Sin City in Savage Worlds. Yes, I can. So yeah, yeah, that's why we're talking so much about it recently, because it's been kind of an obsession. And we'll get back to that in just a little bit. One thing that I want to do with this intro right now is just kind of do some updates on some Kickstarter campaigns. Uh, Let's start with one that we had on a few weeks ago, and that is, of course, uh, Joshua Cade's Dungeon Tape. And uh, that Kickstarter, we're at 36 hours to go, people. We are, you know, just over a day to go with this campaign. Uh, We don't have any stretch goals unlocked. Uh, Let's see if we can get that first, uh, you know, woodland stretch goal unlocked by the end of this, uh, you know, 36-hour period as I'm recording this. Uh, That'd be really cool just to have that, that unlocked and, you know be able to see some of that variety in the offerings that uh, that Joshua has for us. Uh, so 
Other than that, let's also look in on, of course, the Deadlands campaign. I give a update in the episode with Shane, but this is a more up-to-date one since I'm recording this on Saturday. So as of right now, we have 10 days to go on the project. Uh, we are at $331 or $331,000. If we were only at $331, I'd be very concerned. But we've got some really cool stretch goals unlocked already. Uh, we talk about some of those in the campaign. Uh, but currently what we're working on right now is the uh, the Horse Eater, which is a Savage Tale from uh, Deadlands Classic. And now Shane is putting that in print for the first time. It's going to be part of the, uh, the physical or uh, PDF uh, Weird West Companion that you'll be getting with all of your uh, different all of your different pledges uh, depending on where you're at and so that's just some uh, some added value and some adventures to get people started but yeah you guys have approximately 10 days as i am recording this to jump on this campaign and unlock some of these stretch goals. I'm super excited for this game, guys. I really am. And, you know, as the campaign says, uh, everything's written and formatted. So, you know, within a few weeks of the campaign wrapping up, you will receive your PDFs. And you'll be able to, you know, start running in... in Swayed with uh, with Deadlands. Uh, the physical copies won't be here until I believe November. Hopefully, with uh, you know current circumstances being what they are, that won't be delayed. Um, you know things are starting to open back up again, which I'm very excited about. Hopefully, we'll be able to get into some conventions by the end of the summer, into the fall, and I'll be really looking to kind of ramp up convention attendance from you know late 2020 into 2021. I want to start running convention games again. I want to be active in the uh, the broader RPG community, you know, so I can play with a bunch of different people, try a bunch of new things, and also, you know, spread the word of Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard to people who have not yet heard of us. So that is our Kickstarter update out of the way. Uh, one thing that I really wanted to plug real quick, I talk about this with Shane because it was something cool that I discovered, uh, but I want to shout out a company that's got a really cool product right now, and uh, they could actually, you know, use people purchasing their stuff and and you know jumping on their uh, their bandwagon right now because uh currently they are being affected by the uh the pandemic but i just wanted to shout out knuckle duster miniatures i found them online while looking at uh you know western minis to put on my table for uh for when the deadland stuff is done and i'm able to actually run games and so i found these guys just just through a google search and they've got some really cool minis. Unfortunately, you can't order directly from them. That's part of why you know they're being affected by the the, the pandemic. Uh, but they do have some some retailers who are still able to sell their products. Uh, Dark Horse Hobbies is where I got my minis from. But they make these really cool Western minis for a game that's called Gunfighter's Ball, which is a a miniature tabletop game. But They've got some really cool offerings. Uh, the, the thing that hooked me was they've got historical figures and specifically they've got historical fixture, uh, specifically they have historical figures from the uh, the tombstone incident. Uh, the, the gunfight at the OK Corral, which, uh, you know, those of you who have heard me talk about this before, Tombstone is one of my favorite movies of all time. And so I was able to get uh, the Cowboys faction from Tombstone as well as the Earp faction. So I've actually got a Wyatt Earp figure that I can set on my battle mat and go, and you encounter Wyatt Earp and my players can go, who the hell is Wyatt Earp? Which, that will make me feel terrible when it happens, but at least I'll have a Wyatt Earp mini. And, uh, you know, Gunfighter's Ball, Knuckle Duster Miniatures, you, you guys have some great products here. I'd love to bring you on the show to talk about uh, what Gunfighter's Ball is and, you know, just just kind of spread the good word because these really are good quality miniatures. They're, uh, they're metal. Uh, so those of you who don't like metal miniatures, you know, they, they are metal, but I feel like they're pretty good quality. I've painted one of them so far, and it ended up going really well. It was a mini that looked a lot like Clint Eastwood from High Plains Drifter, so I uh, I painted him up, and he turned out great. But I just want to give them a shout-out, and, you know, if, if anyone out there has any connection to, uh, to Knuckle Duster Miniatures, or, you know, you work for them or something like that, uh, have them hit me up, because I really do want to, uh, to bring people on the show who are making products like this, because uh, I like good quality product. And I like to uh, to tell people, you know, where I got this good quality product. 
So with that out of the way, uh, one more quick thing that I want to do before we dive headfirst in this interview with Shane is I do want to talk a little bit about a topic that I've talked about on the show already, and that is diversifying your RPG playing. And this is a topic that I think a lot of people tend to be kind of tribalist about. You know, we, we hear a lot about addition warring and, you know, favorite systems and stuff like that. And there seems to be a tendency among people to find the rule set that they like the best and stick within that wheelhouse, which I can't necessarily blame people for doing because, you know, if you like that rule set and you are comfortable with it, you know it inside and out, it can be really hard to pick up another one. And there are some rule sets out there that are not as good as others. But there are also rule sets that are completely different from other rule sets. They're meant to do different things. Uh, and a good example of this, again, just because I've been living in this, in this world, is Savage Worlds. Savage Worlds is completely worlds apart from 5th edition. I love both of them, but they do different things. And you can play fantasy with uh, with Savage Worlds, or you could, you know, really hack a, a part 5e and try to run like a, a modern war game or uh, a superhero game or a Western game with it. But I feel that 5th edition is better for fantasy and Savage Worlds is better for all that other stuff. And then there are other rule sets that I like. Uh, you know, I, I love Mutants and Masterminds. I love really hope to be able to run like a long campaign of mutants and masterminds someday and i've also been playing in uh star trek adventures i i just had a session of star trek adventures last night and i like that system too it does kind of odd things with uh d20s acting almost like percentile dice but you know once you get the system down it, it really works and it's cool and you know i I think it's a great Star Trek game, and it works well for, for what it does. But I bring this up because as a GM, I am currently running two 5th edition games. And while I love both of those games, and both of them are doing something completely different, I am getting a little tired of just running... I am getting a little tired of just running 5th edition D&D. So this is more for players than for GMs. My last time talking about this was more directed at GMs uh, because, you know, as, as GMs, it's, it's on you. If you suggest running something, it's on you to be the, the knowledgeable person at the table who knows the rules and is able to articulate them well, which is something that I've screwed up in the past. But this one's for the players because I know there are some players out there who have their favorite genres have their favorite rule systems and you know that you you want to be your you want to be your bard you want to be your fighter you want to be a wizard something like that and you want to stay in that lane and have your fun and i understand that however not everyone at the table is going to be cool with just staying in the same lane just doing the same thing over and over and over again with occasionally a different story sometimes people want to explore other systems and you know play other games and and try new things and it can be daunting to learn a new rule system it really can be i totally understand that. I've been in that position before. We've all been in that position when we first get to the table. Uh, I remember my first time playing 5th edition. I was a mess. I didn't know anything. I couldn't remember anything. I kind of relived that last night with uh, Star Trek Adventures. It had been so long since I familiarized myself with the rules that I was, you know, constantly asking, okay, I add this to this, right? And I roll this... And what's this character's name and, and all that stuff. And so I had to start writing stuff down, open up my own copy of the rules, that kind of stuff. So I, I get that it's daunting. But I really do want to encourage all of you players, even those of you who are scared of, you know, learning another system and forgetting the old system or just not having the, the bandwidth after a long week to, you know, try to learn new ways to add numbers together while you roll dice. I get it, but sometimes it can be really fun to explore other systems. It can be really fun to, you know, hop genres. Think of it almost like, you know, television or video games. Every TV show has a different rhythm that you have to get into to, you know, kind of enjoy it. You can't go into a show. Let's use shows that I've been watching recently. You can't go into The Boys, which is a fantastic show with a Star Trek mentality. 
They're two completely different shows. And if you think that you're going to, you know, sit and watch an episode of The Boys the same way that you watch an episode of Star Trek, uh, you're not going to enjoy yourself. And so you, you kind of have to find the, the mode that you have to be in to enjoy one or the other. And, you know, if you think about it in the terms of video games, video games, as a general rule, have different controls. A lot of them have kind of similar controls, especially, you know, on, on like a PC where, you know, you, you use WASD to, uh, to move around and you shoot with the mouse. Uh, but some of them have wildly different controls, and you have to get used to those controls, used to those rules that you're playing in uh, to enjoy yourself and, and really have fun. And sometimes you can kind of get into other habits if you, you know, play one thing for so long and then switch to something else and play that forever, and then you go back to that first thing you were playing and uh, you, you're having trouble. Yeah, I know we all have our favorite, our favorite video games, our favorite TV shows to watch, but we also have other, you know, video games and TV shows that we like to watch, and in the same way, we have favorite RPGs that we'll constantly want to return to and play, you know, I, even even as fatigued as I may be feeling at this moment with 5th edition, I'll always want to come back to it because I love it. I love playing it. I love running it. It's easy to teach people. It's a good system. Uh, but, you know, as players, don't be afraid to try something new. Don't be afraid to, you know, try to familiarize yourself with a new rule system, and, you know, this is where I kind of have to loop GMs back into the conversation, because there's a couple different ways that you can successfully introduce a new system to your players that, you know, you, you should probably implement. Firstly, if there are any starter resources for the system, and typically there are, uh, that just kind of explain the basic rules, make sure your players have, make sure they're able to, you know, reference something about the these new rules that they'll be trying to learn. And if there isn't one, uh, then it's kind of on you to make one. It, it really is, it's, it's on the GM to ensure that everyone kind of knows what they're doing when it comes to everyone learning a new system for the first time. If you're teaching someone the system, then it's on you to make sure they know what they're doing. And if you have to create some kind of handout to ensure that that's the case, uh, then do it. It's it's not difficult. You don't need to be as talented as Carl Kiesler in graphic design to, to come up with a decent handout. You can just do bullet points. Uh, but if you want to do something more artistic, then absolutely give it a whirl. And then the other way to, uh, to introduce you know, new ideas, new games to your players is instead of saying, let's do a campaign of this, or implying that a campaign will be coming, say, hey, let's try this for one to four sessions. Let's do a one shot or like a mini campaign and just kind of try out the system here. And, you know, during session zero at the end, if you've got some time, that's where you can kind of run through some mechanics and stuff like that. Uh, if you're doing a one shot, I would actually advise you to, you know, give people pre-generated characters. And then if they want to do more after that uh, and they don't necessarily like everything that's on their sheet uh, with the pre-gens at that point, do a session zero and, and have everyone create your characters introduce them slowly and give them every opportunity to experiment, learn the system, you know, give them reference material, that kind of stuff. That is vital to making sure that people know how to play in a new system and, you know, are able to have fun while learning at the same time. So if you're using, you know, those kinds of strategies, uh, I, I think you'll have a lot of success in introducing your players to new systems. And players out there, please be open-minded about new systems. I know it's unfamiliar, it's scary at first. Some of you are not as hardcore as some of us out there. Like, you know, again, I go back to, I go back to my wife. My wife plays... I'd say about 70% of the time to humor me. She's she's expressed multiple times that, you know, she's not as into RPGs as I am. Uh, it's hard to be as into RPGs as I am, though, so I, I, you know, wouldn't expect that of anyone. And, you know, she does it, you know, for some, some light fun and to hang out with, uh, with friends of ours. Uh, you know, f for people like that, learning a new system is going to be difficult, uh, you know, they, they might agree to do it, but they're they're not going to be as engaged as someone who's like, oh, I love RPGs. Uh, so make it as easy as you can for people who are not hardcore. Make it as easy as you can for people who are hardcore. And allow everyone, you know, the space to learn, and that includes yourself as the GM. With that out of the way, let's, of course, jump 
headfirst into today's interview with Shane Hensley. Uh, Shane's a great guy. I love talking to him. It's always good to have him on the show. And at the end, we talk a little bit about Dark Sun, because of course we do. When do I not talk about Dark Sun? Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy it, and I will see you on the other side. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the podcast. He's agreed to come back on to talk about the new suede update of Deadlands. You know him well, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Shane Hensley. Hey, Ryan. Good to see you again. Good to see you, too. And I actually can see Ryan, even though you guys can't. And uh, I'm glad you can't see me because, man, do I need a haircut. I do, too. And uh, I've been toying around with live streaming this podcast, but I I keep telling people that they're not missing much. (laughs) Fair. Gotcha. Well, Shane, let's get right to it. Uh, You've come on the podcast for, you know, one big thing in particular and after a couple of delays due to current circumstances, uh, the Deadlands, the Weird West Kickstarter is up. Sure is. Gotcha. So we are going to talk all things uh, Deadlands tonight. And uh, I guess to start things off, if you had to kind of lay out the basic bullet points of what is being updated with uh, this this new edition of Deadlands... Uh, We'll get into rule-specific stuff in just a second, but uh, content-wise, is you know, with, with Deadlands, what is different about this edition? I think it depends on your perspective. If you are a, if you're new to Deadlands, we created this book to be as as if we had just created the concept today, right? So it's a it's a jumping on point. Uh, everything you need to play cowboys and zombies is in here. And then you add, you, we layer in all the background stuff. And for the new player, you know, it's just enough to know, okay, so there's this thing called the Great Maze. There's the City of Gloom. The Sioux Nations are a thing. The Coyote Confederation's a thing. Deseret's a thing, etc. For the older players, the ones who have been around for a while, they're going to see all of the places they're familiar with as they are now in 1884. So the timeline's been advanced. We give a, you know, a brief core book style history of what's been going on in those places. And uh, a lot of the big stuff that happened in the Servitor uh, plot point campaigns are all wrapped up, described, and, and you know, now we've moved past all that. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think that's probably the nitty gritty answer. The focus is another thing. So while we've been focused on the big meta plot stuff for a while with, with the Servitors, um, we've now kind of returned back to the small town local horror stuff that we actually started with. And um, that, uh, you know, we still have some big meta plot stuff going on, especially with the Cackler, which you'll see more about. But really, we, we want to kind of get back to the grounded nature of the game and let that roll for a while. And the best place to see it is in the Horror of Headstone Hill uh, box set that, that we're doing which I think is super cool. So what it is, it's, it's kind of how I, I ran Deadlands in the very beginning in the playtest days. It's a, it's a map of a county, okay? And the players get to look at the map. There's all kinds of stuff they already know about going on that the, the Twilight Legion, the coded messages, and the Tombstone Epitaph clues you into. And as you go around and deal with these different threats and mysteries and so forth, more and more will be revealed, and it turns into this, you know, this local plot point campaign that, if you're successful, will reduce... The, uh, the fear level of that particular county. So you're going to get to know people, you're going to solve mysteries, you're going to do some gunfighting, all the stuff you would expect out of a Deadlands game. Absolutely. Gotcha. And a lot of these kind of in-world changes have been basically affected because of the Morgana effect. Uh, for the people who are just now coming into Deadlands, uh, how would you kind of explain the, the Morgana effect? So there, there's two levels to that, too. So in, in story... We have something called Deadlands Dark Ages that we've been working on for a bit and will come out sometime in the next year or so. Uh, in Deadlands Dark Ages, Morgana is, uh, you know, the Mor- Morgan Le Fay, the, the sister of, of King Arthur, mm-hmm. is up to no good. And some of the things she's doing when she gets um, pulled into the body of a relative in the Weird West, which is what the Cackler Cackler graphic novel is all about, has repercussions throughout history. There are ripples in time. And you'll see those ripples in both settings, and they affect each other. And they allow us to 
there's some cool story stuff that comes out of it. But, and here's the other layer, it is also an explanation for why some of the rules have changed. So, for example, the blessed and reloaded could pick any miracle and do it on the fly. There was nothing really wrong with the power level of that, but it's it's just too much to choose from while you're playing, right? So we fixed that in Stone in a Hard Place already. Uh, we've done some world revamp stuff that I think we're going to talk about in the meantime. And then, of course, all the rule changes that you'll see in Deadlands, which is probably the single greatest change is just going through with what we know from the Savage Worlds Adventure Edition or Suede now and really tightening it up and making sure the rules work much better and are more um, more balanced across all of our different settings and especially within you know different arcane backgrounds and gunfighters and so forth within Deadlands. And uh, speaking to some of those in-world changes that have been made as far as the, the lore is concerned, those of you who are familiar with Deadlands know that a lot of it was kind of based around this this premise of the Civil War continuing well past 1865. In the uh, the world of 1884 that we now found, find ourselves in in Deadlands of the Weird West, the Civil War ended in 1874, and as such, uh, there's no longer a uh, Confederate playable faction. Um, so if you could, could, could you go into kind of the, the decisions around uh, the decision to, you know, end the Civil War in, in 1874 and, um, you know, have the, the status quo be what it is in 1884? I sure will. So prepare yourself for a bit of a long answer that's going to hit on a couple of different tangents. So uh, when, when I first created Deadlands way back in uh, 1994, uh, and it came out in 96, the Civil War, you know, is very much influenced by Clint Eastwood movies, including the outlaw Jesse Wales. And a lot of the idea for the, you know, the lone Confederate gunman and stuff came out of that. And a big deal for Deadlands was the Reckoners, which we eventually revealed were the four horsemen. And one of those horsemen is war, right? Mm-hmm. So what better war in this period than the Civil War? And it gave us all kinds of reasons for conflict and tragedy and and violence and all the things that a good Western needs. So that's why it was in there. As time went on, we added so much to the world, to to the world of Deadlands, like the Great Rail Wars and the various factions and the new nations that popped up and the Church of Lost Angels and all this stuff. The Civil War never really played into it other than flavor for some of our factions, like some of the Great Rail Wars factions. So Dixie Rails, for example, was uh, was the con- the main Confederate railroad, while Union Blue was the main Union railroad. Other than that, it was something that happened in the background, with a couple of small exceptions, uh, like the Adventure Dead Presidents and some of that stuff. So so really, it just wasn't there. So when I when I tell people that you won't miss it in the new edition, that's what I mean. It, mm-hmm. We never really did much with it. It's a background for characters. It's still a background for characters. Now, you said that it ends in 1874. It actually ends in 1871 in the game now, gotcha. which is still six years longer than the real war lasted. So, you know, it's 11 years. So any character in the game would, would definitely have been affected by it, right? And you can still play that lone Confederate uh, holdout who, you know, believed in, in some part of the cause. Uh, you're a hero, so you're not going to be out there rooting for slavery, right? But, right. you know, maybe maybe you, do, you really do believe in states' rights and all that kind of stuff. You can play those characters. All that existed, all that happened. Yep. The Battle of Washington is, is cool in and of itself. It's this huge steampunk battle between steam tanks and velocipedes and ornithopters and all kinds of flying machines and airships and zeppelins. I mean, it's this massive thing, right? It's really cool. So uh, that happened in old continuity, and it's it's the end of the Confederacy in the new one. They lose that fight eventually as all their gizmos uh, wear out, and then the Union rallies and, and chases them back to Virginia, where they eventually uh, surrender at Appomattox, just as they did in real history. Okay, so that's kind of the in-game rationale and, and, and why I was okay with losing it. Uh, so let's talk about you know the political ramifications. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a fiscal conservative. I'm a pretty middle-of-the-road guy. I'm a historian. I have a master's degree in, in military history. So you know I, I feel pretty qualified to talk on the subject, and I'm happy to do so. Hmm. I had a lot of friends and you know they were friends for years and years attacked me pretty viciously for this decision and i've had people you know on the other side attack me pretty viciously you know prior to all this so you know this wasn't done to pander to make anybody happy uh it's a decision i decided to make and nobody else 
I talked it over with the staff. They were all great with it. We all understood why things have changed. And I think most importantly, you know, now that I've been out there running it all around the world, some things have happened on occasion. And it didn't happen necessarily to me, but, you know, you'd hear about it. But, you know, let's say you're playing, uh, you know, a black gunslinger in the game. And one of the other players is playing a Texas Ranger. You know, is he supposed to ask if you're a free man or not? Is he supposed to check your papers? You know, who wants to do that, right? We want to have gunslinging cowboys and horror-filled adventures. That's what we want to focus on. So as I said, and, uh, and there's a post on our website, you can find it if you want in some detail. You know, that's a price that, that, that I don't have to pay, you know, given my, uh, my race and my, my advantages, but somebody else will. So, you know, again, knew it was going to be controversial, knew I was going to get attacked no matter what, but sometimes you do what, you know, it's what you want to do, and it's my world. I made it. It's what I want it to be. And this gets rid of something we don't have to worry about anymore and focuses on the same stuff we've always focused on, spaghetti westerns. Yeah, and that's – it's one of those things where I remember when, when I was running Deadlands for my friends, uh, when I introduced the setting, as soon as I said, you know, the Civil War is still ongoing, uh, I, I immediately had a friend, you know, say, are we fighting the Confederacy? And I went, well, no. Right. Yeah. And, it's, and that's the part that, you know, if you don't have that nuance or you don't want that nuance, it's hard to work around. Right? Yep. I totally get it. And it's one of, you know, I'm a student of history myself. Um, I don't have the degrees, but I, I took the courses in college and have been fascinated by history my entire life. There's a ton of relitigating the Civil War and examining it from all sides. And I can only say that this is a good decision because of all the places to relitigate the Civil War and what each side actually meant, the RPG table is not one of the better places to be doing that. I agree, and, and that's not to say that you can't, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the actual, the very first playtests that I ran in my basement in Virginia, I live in Arizona now, but I lived there then, were, were about that very subject, and I was with a group of people that, you know, we could explore it in some depth, and, you know, there was some, some, big, uh, some big moments with a lot of resonance. Mm -hmm. But... You know, and again, if, if the right occasion comes up, we might do it here too. But generally, you know, we want to focus on monster hunting. You know, that's that's our bread and butter. That's what's fun. We want you to be a cool gunslinger or a huckster or a brave or a shaman, you know, doing whatever it is you do out there fighting monsters and solving mysteries. That's what the game's about. If you and your group want to tell a more poignant story, you know, more power to you. Now Kind of turning away from the story a little bit and talking specifically towards some of the mechanics. One of the big updates uh, that you know kind of comes with Suede is the the whole system of bennies. Because I remember uh, in in both classic and Reloaded, uh, there were multicolored bennies that that Deadlands utilized, and it seems like that has uh, gone by the wayside. So, uh, how would you kind of explain that update? And so we. We really only lost the red chips because gotcha. the blue chips are just earned through their, their conviction now, right? Mm -hmm. So I actually have never really liked the different colored chips in the Savage Worlds version. I think they were fine in, in Deadlands Classic. I haven't played with them probably in eight or nine years. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, to me, this is just uh, – it's a no-brainer. Some people are going to get upset by it. They get ex excited by the different colors and doing so and, and, and using them. But really, all they're losing is the red chip, you know, which gives the Marshall a chip. And if you want to do that, you know, more power to you. Go for it. It's your game. You do what you want. But officially, we're just not going to do them anymore. Conviction will be earned. Everything else is just a Benny. Gotcha. And, and honestly, the rules as they're written, especially in just the, the core Savage Worlds rules, reflect that. It's just a different economy than it would be if there were three different colors of legend chips. Mm -hmm. So there, there are underlying, underlying mechanics at play here too, but uh, you know, it won't break the game if you do it the other way, but we think it's smoother and easier the way we, we're doing it. I mean, with, with that in mind, let's, let's take a look at this uh, campaign here. Uh, you know, I've, I've donated to it. I am in at the, uh, the 125 Marshall level. Well, thanks. Um, dinner, my dinner was on you tonight. But, you know, there, there's some really cool rewards here. One that I'm actually uh, – it, it tempted me for a little bit, but I'm going to pick it up on uh, the – the I think it's Pledge Master afterwards uh -huh. if it's still being offered. Uh, because you guys for the, uh, the all-in highest tier have finally put out 
the uh, the official Deadlands Marshals badge. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who haven't been following the campaign, it is a full-on uh, metal Marshals badge. Uh, is it is it made out of tin? What's it What's it made out of, Shane? Do you remember? Well, it's uh, it's brushed steel. I can't tell you exactly what uh, you know what what components are in there, but it's steel. I don't have one a sample yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just know it's steel. It's not tin, but it is uh, modeled after the real U.S. Marshals badge. There's there's actually several designs for that in history. This is the most popular one. It's the one we used for our um, the little uh, the symbols where you would follow through to a savage tale in the old books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's that basic uh, icon with uh, Deadlands Marshall and then the cattle skull in the middle. Mm-hmm. And man, I really tried to make this work, but I just couldn't pull it off. But I would love to have taken every one out into the desert here and shot it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I did see people in the comments talking about, are we going to get one with a hole in it? But <laughs> So we're still actually looking into putting a hole in it, or maybe what I would actually like to put is like a half hole on the corner or a dent or something to show that you survive. Yep. Right? <laughs> I think that'd be pretty cool. Absolutely. But if you die, you could be harrowed. Also true. <laughs> But yeah, this uh, this campaign has a lot of really cool stuff uh, coming with it, including uh, you know something that I thought was a really cool addition here. Uh, that, again, for those of you who haven't been following, there's a, a companion article or companion PDF that is now getting a physical release thanks to right. uh, you uh, you generous donors here, and this thing is chock full of some really cool stuff, including uh, you know stuff that I remember from the a uh, classic book like statted out famous gunfighters uh relics and and other you know re- really cool stuff like that and there's even some uh some tips and tricks on on marshaling deadlands which i feel like is a great addition uh you know for a, a guide like this because this is a it's a fun game to run but it's a very challenging game to run and i speak from some crazy experience when i say that <laughs> sounds like a story there oh i I've told you this story. It's not a pleasant one. <laughs> I was the one who forgot about, you know, monsters and thought everyone would be as excited as me about John Wesley Harden. <laughs> right, I remember. <laughs> Which, funnily enough, and, and this is appropriate for kind of the conversation today, I found this uh, this company called uh, Knuckle Duster Miniatures. They have a, a game called the Gunfighter's Ball, which I believe is a like historical miniatures game. But they sell uh, they sell packs of minis for famous gunslingers in addition to just generic cowboy pieces. And so I've got the Erp faction and the Cowboys faction from uh, the OK Corral here. And I'm, I'm actually holding up uh, Doc cool. Holliday right now. That's awesome. I've been down there, uh, I guess, about six times now to Tombstone. Mm-hmm. I've watched the shootout every time. It's uh, it's a really interesting place. If you're ever in Arizona, try to make a uh, try to make a stop there. It's it's pretty far out. You know, it's way down past Tucson, but it's it's a really neat place. Now, is the shootout something that occurs like every day, or is the shootout every something day. that only every day? Yeah, every day. Like gotcha. I think probably twice a day, most days. <laughs> uh, and it takes place about. 40, 50 feet from where the real shootout took place. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you something interesting uh, anecdotally here. So, like I said, I've been six times, and I try to pay attention every single time uh, which guy shoots first. Now, they don't claim to be historical. It's it's kind of a, you know, a dramedy based on the day. And, uh, and I try to remember who shot first, who shot next, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. And just like the real thing, uh, nobody's ever really going to know. So the real thing, we have some pretty good, we have pretty good idea of, of, of most of it based on the forensics evidence, right? Who got shot when, or who got shot, what, who probably would have had to shoot first for them to be shot, etc. Mm-hmm. But when you watch this, and I tell my friends when I take them, try to pay attention, see who shot first, did what, right? Because when you read these accounts of the real shootout, which is you know thirty some shots in thirty some seconds, and I think it's eleven shots that hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just impossible, right? So anybody who was watching it, it would be really tough to believe that their account was true. Again, the forensics ad- evidence is is a little different. Something else interesting too, you know, from a gamer's point of view, 
all these different games we play, if you're going to stat out somebody like Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, you know, these are going to be the legends of the Old West, right? They're going to be like, mm-hmm. you know, in D&D terms, they're you know, at least 14th, 15th level or whatever. Mm-hmm. So here are, you know, nine guys who were born with guns in their hands in this gunfight, nine to start, shooting at each other at about mm, 15, 20 feet apart and 11 hits out of 30 shots, right? Not even 50%. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of fascinating to sit there and think about the math and the statistics and, you know, how would you simulate that in play, right? And that's where, you know, we, we come out pretty good, actually, in Savage Worlds. But it's it's pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Savage Worlds, um, I mean, you, you just brought up the, the setting itself, so I or the system itself, so I, I just have to say this. Savage Worlds is quickly becoming one of my favorite uh systems to you know try to convince people to run in i find that i have a lot of people who are very invested in fifth edition D D, and so uh getting people to agree to learn a new system is a little bit difficult but i i have to give a lot of this credit to a a man who's done a lot of work for this particular project as well uh and that is my guest from a few weeks ago uh the legendary carl keesler he he yeah. really really talked me into an appreciation for Savage Worlds that was there to begin with, but has really kind of bloomed since we had that conversation about just all that you can do with that particular rule set. Yeah, I'll, I'll second that. So, you know, Carl did the graphic design for this, for, for for the Savage Worlds Adventure Edition and several other things we've done. He's just an amazing graphic artist, but perhaps even more amazing, he's just a really great guy, and he runs an amazing game. And he's one of those great GMs that doesn't say, no, you can't do that. It's, well, you know, you can try, but, right, and he does it with a smile, and his games are engaging, and they're fun, and they're they're silly but not dumb, right? You just you sit there and you laugh the whole time, and you just have a, a fantastic experience. I played in his Trailer Shark Park Attack at uh, GeeksCon, I guess, two years ago now. And you know, one of the best games I've ever played. He's also incredibly well prepared. You know, everything he makes has that graphic artist's touch to it, from the character sheets to the handouts. One of the coolest things he did years ago, I didn't play it, but I saw it. He made he, he ran a, a Savage World Star Wars game and all of the characters were done up like the uh the Kenner uh toys. So you had like the you know the hanging tag tag or the, the packaging that the toy came in. And on the back was your stats, all done up exactly like that old packaging. It was amazing. Yeah, I I insisted that he send me his uh, materials for tombs, not tombstone, because we were just talking about tombstone. Uh, the materials that he did for Sin City, and yeah. I confused those two because those are my one A and one B favorite movies. <laughs> uh, but he he was kind enough to send me all the stuff that he had for that uh, that Sin City one shot that he did, and I will like I told him, be happy to run that for my players and sad to tell them that I didn't come up with it first. <laughs> Man, I'd love to play that. I love Sin City too. Apparently Marv is just an absolute tank in Savage World, so... I'm sure. Yeah. Well, with this uh, this Kickstarter reward, it, it's uh, it's going on right now. As we are recording this, we have approximately 15 days to go. Once this goes up, we'll be, you know just under two weeks uh and with it initially what you can get is you know we obviously have the uh the player's handbook and the full-on deadlands box set uh for this uh the suede update but if you go in at the higher levels you can also get the horrid headstone hill which uh shane mentioned kind of being the the first adventure box set for this setting is that be uh that'd be accurate to describe it that way uh-huh. And then from there, uh, the the more you go in, you've also got the uh, the cardboard uh, punch out pawns that yeah. uh, I believe Paizo has made uh, very popular in. in yeah, recent and years. these are just like those. We uh, sort of we we love Paizo. Uh, we love their pawns. Ours are die cut around the edges of the characters, so we we took that extra expense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think people will like that. They they look really nice that way. Absolutely, and then at the absolute top of the heap. Uh, there is, you know, the metal upgraded uh, Savage Worlds dice. There is the uh, the Deadlands dice tray, and then of course the uh, the glorious official Marshals badge. 
all of these rewards are available, including other things like ammo counters, which is just ingenious. I love that they look like revolver cylinders. Thank you. And then all the cool stretch goals that are being unlocked, including harrowed cards, uh, additional archetype cards coming in the box set, and of course that uh, that companion book that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that you have to go pretty soon, but if you'll hold on with me for just a couple more minutes, I, I sure. do have a non-Deadlands uh, tangent that I kind of want to go down for just a little bit, because since our last conversation... I kicked off a 5th edition Dark Sun game. Sweet. And I just want to talk with you for a few minutes about your contributions to that amazing setting that so many of us know and love. In fact, uh, I know you guys can't see this, but on Shane's wall I can actually see a uh, a Brom piece just over his shoulder. Yep, the, signed uh, by Brom. Yep. Of what appears to be the main cast of kind of the Dark Sun books on a boat in the Silt Sea. And so you you were uh, primarily working on the uh, the city at City by the Silt Sea box set, which was the last box set released for Second Edition Dark Sun. Is that correct? Uh, I didn't mind Lords of the Last Sea by Matt Forbeck come out after that. Huh, that is a good question. I think it did. Gotcha. Matt and I were uh, were working on Deadlands together while we were still doing some of that stuff, and like think... This came out after City by the Soul Sea. I also did Earth, Fire, Water, and Air and a bunch of the monsters for the Monster Companion. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what what is it about that world that you feel like is so kind of, you know, magical even to, to people now? What is it that you feel like sets that apart from so many other D&D settings? Great question. Well, first off, so it was my, my friend Timothy Brown and then Troy Denning and some of those guys created it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Tim's a big buddy of ours, and he actually created Dragon Kings, which is a new setting, uh, well, a couple years old now, for Savage Worlds, which has that same vibe. But I think you know the, the first thing, the most genius thing they did is it had this cohesive look, right? Brom did all of the, the exteriors, the, the covers, and uh, uh, Bruno Baxila did all of the interiors, so it had this – it all looked the same right it all felt like one cohesive world and you really got a feel for what the place looked and felt like mm-hmm. for me and i didn't probably didn't understand it at the time but it's got a touch of the planetary romance vibe which is you know the john carter kind of planet hopping stuff even though it's you know just one planet but it's mm-hmm. different environments and you know something different than your standard tolkien fantasy which i was just i've just never been that into but i guess the biggest thing for me is that it was hard you know, survival alone was your, your number one foe, and uh, and I just loved that. What do you think? I definitely think it comes down to two things. One is just how you like, just how different everything in the world of Dark Sun is from what you expect in Dungeons and Dragons. Down to you don't fight orcs because there are no orcs; they're all dead and. You know, all the way through, if you are casting spells, you're literally pulling your energy from the earth, so people will probably yeah. try to kill you if you're using magic recklessly. Yeah. And then the other thing is, uh, I think players, even even some players who will kind of deny it, players like that feeling of your character could die at any turn. Right. Yep, me too. And that's I mean, that's why I made Savage Worlds, right? Yeah. I like those tough worlds where you know, it's just not—it's not a gimme. It's tough. And so, when it comes to uh, City by the Silt Sea, what was kind of your your goal with that one? And and you know, we don't have to get too too deep into that, but that is a that's a setting that I have not gone near yet. I've been mostly in the tier region with my players. So so tell me a little bit about your setting and and what it is that you were setting out to do with with that particular well it was a long time ago so let's start there but (laughs) (laughs) what i remember uh it's the city is called Mm guistanol and it is literally surrounded by a silt sea which uh you know it's a it's a sea of incredibly soft sand that you can sink in it's it's you know it's really cool just to be out there there's this giant manta flying manta rays that fly overhead i mean it's just it's just a, a beautiful image to think about uh one of the things I remember 
thinking about was I ran at the Mountains of Madness for Cthulhu for my friends. And when you read that story, it's really great because, you know, they're, they're un unveiling that, you know, humanity was enslaved and created as a servitor race and all this kind of stuff. And it's really kind of mind-blowing and cool. When you're running the game, uh, those things aren't all that exciting. You know, you find some more runes that say the same thing, right, uh, after the first couple of revelations. So there just wasn't that much to find. And unlike D&D, where, you know, D&D is a loot-driven game where, you know, that, that next magic sword or ring or potion or whatever is important. They're just not in Cthulhu. So with City by the Silt Sea, I really wanted to make sure that as you found stuff, which I was my, – my marching orders were to reveal some stuff about uh, the founders. I can't remember what they're called now. Uh, and, you know, make sure that it's exciting and fun and so forth. So I had to reveal that information, and I wanted to do that in a way that was fun, but also – provide lots of cool loot and encounters and stuff to fight, right? Because that's D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, those of you who have, who have read it or played it can judge, you know, how, how well I did that way back in 1994, I believe, maybe mm -hmm. 93. But, man, I loved working on it. Just loved it. And of course, you know, you, you've gone on to, to, you know, collaborate with, with Brahm as he did a lot of that original art that, well, as you told me in the first interview, we did inspired Deadlands and then did that original cover. Yep. Yeah, Brom. Brom's artwork is always very evocative. I'm a huge fan, and I have talked to him about doing the show, and he uh, unfortunately doesn't seem to be interested in doing it at this time. Hardest man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Shane, thank you so much for, you know, taking time in this very, very busy time to, you know, come back on the show and, and talk about this campaign. I look forward to, you know, November, December when this uh, ends up showing up and forcing my players to, you know, pretend to be cowboys for a little bit while they <laughs> fight monsters. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, man. It was good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too. You know, ladies and gentlemen, next time uh, we're actually bringing on uh, one of the few people from Frog God Games that I have not talked to yet, that being, of course, the legendary founder, Bill Webb. We're going to have a great conversation because I love all those guys. Uh, but until then, whether your dice explode or you roll a snake eyes, I am so unbelievably glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time.